Chapter 12 of Baseball How to Become a Player. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elise D. Baseball How to Become a Player by John Montgomery Ward. Chapter 12 The Batter. The most unsatisfactory feature in baseball to the player himself is batting. In theory, it is so simple yet in practice so difficult that one is forever finding fault with himself and thinking, when too late, of what he might have done if only he had not done as he did. Of course, the element of chance, or luck, as it is called, enters largely into the question. The hardest hit will sometimes go directly into the waiting hands of a fielder, while a little punk hit from the handle or extreme end of the bat may drop lazily into some unguarded spot. But, in the course of a season, these chances should be about equalized to one another, and, though fate may seem to be against a man for half a dozen or more games, he will be found finally to have benefited as much by scratch hits as he has lost in good, hard drives. The theory of batting is simplicity itself. All that is necessary is to wait until the ball comes over the plate and then hit it on a line back into the field. From the grandstand, nothing could be easier. To sit back of the catcher and see the balls come sailing over the plate, one will wonder why they are not hit out of creation, and when some player, who has allowed a couple of balls to pass directly over the plate without making the least attempt to hit at them, finally lets go at one that he could scarcely reach with a wagon tongue, much less a 36-inch bat, the spectator is likely to question the fellow's sanity. It is amusing to sit in a baseball crowd and hear the remarks. There are more good batters and umpires and all-around ball players in the grandstand within one's hearing than are to be found in both the contesting teams. It would be more amusing still if some of these prodigies could be lifted out of their seats and taken down into the field and, with a bat in hand, made to face some first-class pitcher until they had hit the ball just once. They would be surprised to see how differently it looks. At a distance of only fifty feet from a man who can throw a ball like a streak of lightning, or, with the same apparent motion, send it so slowly that one will think it is never going to reach him, who can curve it in or out, up or down, the question of hitting the ball at all becomes one of some doubt, to say nothing of base hits. And then, add to this danger of a swift, wild pitch carrying away an arm or burying itself in the batsman's stomach, and the difficulty is greatly increased. Just think of it for a moment. A player who can throw a ball, say 116 and two-thirds yards, goes into the pitcher's box and, from a distance of only 16 and two-thirds yards, throws the ball to the batter with all the speed. If the throw is wild and the ball hits the batter, it strikes him with a force that would have been sufficient to carry the ball one hundred yards further. It would be interesting to know just how many mule power there is behind such a blow. There are a few moments after a man has been hit during which he wishes he had never seen a baseball, and for the next couple of games, at least, he will think more of escaping a recurrence of the accident than of hitting the ball. Hines of Indianapolis has already been hit on the head this season by one of the Chicago pitchers, and the result is a long, ragged-looking scar that he will always carry. An inch lower, and the blow may have cost him his life. The first consideration in learning to bat is to acquire the proper form. By this is not meant the position to be assumed while waiting for the pitch, because each batter may, and generally does, have his distinctive style. 
But when in the act of hitting, there is a certain form to be observed, and this, in its salient points, is the same with all good batters. Standing within easy reach of the plate, the batter should hold his bat ready to hit a breast-high ball. It is easier to hit a low ball when expecting a high one than to hit a high ball when a low one was expected, for the reason that it is easier to drop the bat quickly and swing underhand than it is to elevate it and chop overhand. When the ball is pitched, he should not move until he has seen where the ball is going, not until in the act of swinging his bat should he step forward, and then his step should be short and, generally, directly toward the pitcher. When he hits, the body should be held erect and flung slightly forward, so that when the bat meets the ball, the weight is principally on the forward foot. If he steps too soon, his position is taken and he cannot change it to suit any slight miscalculation he may have made in the speed or direction of the ball. Neither should he make too long a stride, for the same reasons given in the preceding paragraph, and also because it puts him in bad form to hit at a high ball. He should generally step directly toward the pitcher unless he has special reasons for doing otherwise. For instance, if a right-hand hitter wishes to hit to left field, he had better step so as to face slightly in that direction, and if he wishes to hit to right field, he will stand farther from the plate and step in with the left foot so as to face somewhat in the direction he intends to hit. The object in standing erect is to keep well the balance and be in a position to cut under or over at a low or high ball. The body is thrown slightly forward so that the weight and force of the body may be given to the stroke. It is not necessary to hit hard, but solidly, and this is done not so much by the swing of the arms as by the push of the weight and the shoulder behind it. The accompanying cut of Ewing is an excellent representation of a batter in the act of hitting. He not only swings the bat with his arms, but pushes it with the weight of his shoulders. The position is a picture of strength. In hitting at a high ball, the bat should be swung overhand, in an almost perpendicular plane, and so, also, for a low ball, the batter should stand erect and cut underhand. If the bat is swung in a horizontal plane, the least miscalculation in the height of the ball will be fatal. If it strikes above or below the center line of the bat, it will be driven either up into the air or down to the ground, whereas if the bat is swung perpendicularly, the same mistake will only cause it to strike a little farther up or down the bat, but still on the center line, and if it misses the center line, it will be thrown off toward first or third instead of up or down. There are two classes of good batters whose style of hitting are so different that they may be said to be distinct. The one, comprising such hitters as Connor, Brothers, Tiernan, Wise, Fogarty, Whitney, Ryan, Denny, and Fred Carroll, use the full length of the bat, and, in addition to the push of the shoulders, make a decided swing at the ball. In the other, in which are Anson, Kelly, Dunlap, and a few others, the motion is more of a push than a swing. Anson, who, if not the best batter in the country, is certainly the surest, seldom does anything but push the bat against the ball, only occasionally making what might be called a swing. Many of the latter clasp grasp the bat up short, and some of them keep the hands a few inches apart. If I were advising a novice which style to learn, I should say the latter, because it is the surer, though such batters seldom hit as hard as the others. Every ball player who pretends to play the game with his brain as well as with his body should be able to hit in whatever direction he wishes. 
it may not always be possible to hit in the exact direction desired and of course he cannot place the ball in any particular spot but he can and should be able to hit either to left field or right as the occasion demands the advantage of this to the player himself and to his team cannot be overestimated for example there is a runner on first who signals to the batter that he will try to steal second on the second ball pitched when he starts to run the second baseman goes for his base and the entire field between first and second is left open now if the batter gets a ball anywhere within reach and taps it down toward right field the chances are that it will be safe and the runner from first will keep right on to third oftentimes too the batter himself will reach second on the throw from right field to third to catch the runner ahead of him here now by a little headwork are runners on third and second whereas an attempt to smash the ball trusting to luck as to where it should go might have resulted in a double play or at least one man out and no advantage gained many a game is won by such scientific work and the club that can do the most of it day after day will come in winners in the finish when a batter is known as one who will attempt a play of this kind, it is usual for the second baseman to play well over into right field, allowing second to be covered by the shortstop. When the batter discovers such a scheme to catch him, he should continue to face toward right field in order to not betray his intention, but when the ball is pitched, he should turn and hit it towards left field if the shortstop has gone to take the base the space between second and third is left open just as the other side was a great fault with many batters is that they try to hit the ball too hard this is especially true of younger players the cults as they are called a young player with a reputation as a hitter in some minor league goes to a big club and at once thinks he must hit the ball over the fence the result is that he doesn't hit it at all, and unless he corrects his fault, he goes on fanning the atmosphere until he is handed his release. And yet, the same player, if he would steady himself down and once get started hitting, might do just as well as he did in his former club. And this brings up the reflection that there is a great virtue in confidence. The player who goes timidly to the bat with his mind made up that he can't hit anyhow, he might as well just keep his seat but the one who walks up saying to himself other men hit this ball and i can too will be inspired by his own confidence and for that very reason he will be more likely to hit so it is that batting goes so much by streaks a nine that has not made a hit for several innings will suddenly start in and bat out a victory one player leads off with a good hit and is followed by another and another each benefited by the confidence and enthusiasm the preceding batters have aroused it goes without saying that the player's eyesight must be perfect or he can never hope to be a good batter it requires the keenest kind of eye to keep track of the ball and tell when it is over the plate and at the proper height so too the nerves must be kept in good condition or the player will be unable to resist the temptation to hit at wide balls a nervous batter is easily worked because he is so anxious to hit that he can't wait for a good ball but the most important attribute of all in the composition of a good batter is courage. In this term I include the self-control and the resolution by which a man will force himself to stand before the swiftest and wildest pitching without flinching, the fearlessness that can contemplate the probability of a blow from the ball without allowing the judgment to be affected. Out of ten poor batters, nine are so because they are afraid of being hit 
it is often asked why are pitchers as a rule such poor batters and to this the answer in my own mind has always been that it is because they know so well the danger which the batter incurs there is perhaps no such thing as absolute fearlessness the batter who has been hit hard and all of them have will never quite forget the occurrence and he will forever have the respect for the ball that a burned child has for the fire but some men will not allow this feeling to overcome them it is absolutely necessary then to first conquer one's self to fight down fear and forget everything except that the ball must be hit to some this seems not a difficult matter to many it comes only after the most determined effort and schooling of the nerves while to a few it seems to be an utter impossibility the instinct of self-preservation is such a controlling power with them that unconsciously they draw away from the ball and try as they will they cannot stand up to the plate the player who cannot overcome this feeling will never be a good hitter though when he finds that he is a victim he should not give up without a struggle some players have broken themselves of the habit of running away from the plate by stepping back with the rear foot instead of forward with the forward foot when in the act of hitting thompson of detroit who is a remarkably good hitter steps backward instead of forward others like hecker of louisville step neither way but hit as they stand simply throwing the body forward every expedient should be tried before the case is given up as incurable in my own case i was forced to change from right to left-handed hitting i had been hit so hard several times that i grew afraid of the ball and contracted the habit of stepping away from the plate it was a nervous fear over which i had no control and the habit became so confirmed that i resolved to turn around left-handed i thought that in learning to hit the new way i could avoid the mistakes into which i had before fallen it took time and practice to learn but the result i think has been an improvement while not able to hit so hard left-handed because the muscles are not yet so strong i make more single hits reach first base oftener and score more runs End of chapter 12